a synth-laden track to take you deep into space. An incredibly lush song to lose yourself in. And a transcendent piano piece to sink into. You're listening to Themes and Variation. Themes and Variation is a podcast about music and perspectives brought to you by the online music school Soundfly. I'm your host, Carter Lee. All right, folks, another Themes and Variation coming at you. Shout out to Marty Fowler for that fantastic intro music. And today we're talking about songs to escape into. And speaking of things to escape into, we have a brand new course available at soundfly.com. That's right, Comtrue's Mid-Fi Synthwave Slow Motion Funk is available now. So as you might expect, Seth Haley, aka Comtrue's, breaks down his approach to production, songwriting, tips, tricks, and secrets of the Comtrue's sound, and he takes you on a journey into some of his favorite tracks, including Compressed Views, Ultrafiche View, and Existence Schematic. Now, there's actually a little secret about this course that you may or may not know. Seth actually creates a track from start to finish in this course. So yes, that's right. You get to see a Calm Trues track come together from beginning to end. And I say this without any ounce of hyperbole. It is truly one of the most enlightening musical experiences that you can have online. So I've got something a little different for you today. We're going to play a snippet of the track Dynetics that Seth created exclusively for his course at soundfly.com. So wherever you're listening to this, maybe just sit back, get comfortable, relax a little bit as you listen to a taste of a completely unreleased Comtrues track. If you want to learn how this track was made from start to finish and use some of those same processes in your own music, head to soundfly.com and check out Comtrue's Mid-Fi Synthwave Slow Motion Funk today. And hey, while you're there, why don't you take 20% off on me? Use that discount code THEMES on a monthly or annual subscription. All right, folks, let's now turn our attention to today's episode where we've got three tracks for you to escape into. And of course, joining me for this deep dive of musical escapism is my frequent co-host, Mihaela Lee, and the one and only producer and designer, Seth Haley, aka Calm Trues. Combining a nostalgic reverence for 80s drum machines and production techniques with a futuristic sensibility, Calm Trues has been building intricate musical worlds that are hyper-modern and yet emotional familiar for over a decade. All right, you know what? I think that is just about enough out of me. So without further ado, let's get into the episode, Songs to Escape Into. All right, folks, another themes and variation coming at you. Joining me is, of course, Mahaya. Mahaya, how are you doing today? I'm doing really well, Carter. How are you doing today? I'm fantastic so today. It is so good. <laughs> we Look, I'm going to get right into it. We have mm-hmm. an incredible guest for an incredible episode as we're talking about songs to escape into we have the one and only seth haley aka calm trues seth how are you doing 
I am very well. How are you? I'm doing great, man. It's so good to speak to you again here. It's been, you know, it was a few months ago we were together working on your course, which is now out. Calm Truths Mid-Fi Synthwave Slow Motion Funk. Right off the bat, quick question for you. You coined the phrase Mid-Fi Synthwave Slow Motion Funk. We had no choice, honestly, but to call the course that because it was so <laughs> sick. Um, do you mind just sharing with the folks like what is that genre that you created? Well, I get lumped into the synthwave uh, genre a lot. And I, I really think a lot of my music kind of uh, never really kind of fits that mold or, mm. uh, you know, especially the early stuff. And, and you know, but I think for me coming up with that kind of, you know, long uh, term for my genre or what I think my own personal uh, sound was, was just because I really didn't think it, there was anything that it really fit in at the time. I think mm -hmm. I called it that because, you know, you get asked by random people throughout life, you know, if you get picked up by like an Uber driver and they see yeah. the equipment, they're like, oh, you're a musician. What do you do? What kind of music do you make? And, you know, you can say electronic music is what I say now because it's <laughs> just easy to say yeah. that. But like, you know, it was a, this was my detailed description my sub 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 genre of mm -hmm. like what it what it is so it talks a little bit about the quality of you know the tones in the music and like what i'm going for and i think you can kind of get the sort of equipment that i like just from hearing that you know mid-fi mm -hmm. synth wave soul motion funk and you can kind of get a lot of what i like in me in my music and others music out of mm -hmm. that kind of term so I think it was just, you know, just being cool, I guess, you know, and I just kind of <laughs> stuck, you know. I mean, it is it does sound very cool. Have you ever heard another artist where you're like that that artist can be in my genre with me? I hear here and there. I yeah. tend to uh stay away from from my own genre of music as mm -hmm. far as listening. Not out of like, you know, I do, I enjoy the music, but uh and it's not that I'm not trying to be influenced, but I just don't find Yeah. I don't find it like the stuff I really want to listen to, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and I think the track that, you know, we're going to go through today is kind of a, is, is, is a way for me to explain like why I don't, you know, kind of really get into my own genre. When I think about listening to stuff that's similar to me, like I find tracks here and there and I'll put them on like a playlist or whatever. And, yeah. you know, kind of, kind of promote friends that are similar, mm. people that, you know, just that I've met along the way that are cool. But I think... <laughs> To me, it's always like I'm listening to some weird demo I made in my head. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, like yeah definitely. Sort of, uh, <laughs> you know, because like sometimes my stuff starts out like more of the synthwave kind of sound, I think. And then when I finally distill it into the final product, I think that's where I go all weird with it and try to, I'm like, I don't want to be that. I want to be whatever I am, you know, like. Can I ask you a question, yeah. Seth? You yes. have such great song titles. <laughs> Where do you come yeah. up like and yeah. like they're memorable, but they're short enough to remember so often? Where do you find titles? Sometimes I just kind of tumble down the Wikipedia rabbit hole. I'll find nice. a topic and then mm. I'll just kind of, you know, I'll be like I was reading about um, uh, energy weapons this morning. Mm. And I was like, you know, because kind of, I have a list going all right here next to me, like of song title ideas for, you know just the future and I'm thinking of uh, titles for songs for the next record. And that's, that's a huge thing or, or, you know, I'll be watching a film and something, you know, obscure or, you know, not necessarily obscure. And I'll um, <clears throat> say there's like a, a computer screen in the background and you can kind of read, you know, what it is. Oh. And then I'll kind of just like take that and then like maybe change it or put it in reverse or just That's like awesome. use part of it. And, so, and I mash words together all the time. And like, I don't know, I have a weird, definitely a weird naming process. I think something like Ultra Fiche of You is one of the more, I, I would say it's more kind of, of a personal, um, mm. like, uh, kind of song title as opposed to like data kiss you know or terminal yeah. or you know flight wave you know like yeah. it's that those have more of a feeling i think you know that i'm kind of putting outward as opposed to ultra free view i think for me is like an inward thing mm -hmm. you know love that there's um, an intimacy to that that's really interesting too of course well why don't we uh listen to a little music let's get Sweet. into our first selection of the episode cool. here we go
folks, we're listening to Space Song from Beach House, uh, the Baltimore dream pop too. I don't know if they're still in Baltimore, but I, I you know I think they originated in Baltimore. Love seeing I love for whatever reason I love seeing like East kind of coast or Eastern seaboard bands that have this washed out synth wave thing because I think too often it's like oh, it's got to be West Coast for sure like they got to be in Los Angeles but like no it's like Baltimore people on the East Coast we 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 go through the long winter you know for the most <laughs> oh, part yeah. uh, you know at least the northern part. Um, so I think we're always dreaming of the kind of sun-soaked <laughs> yeah. stuff, you know, so it's like more in our memories as opposed to like, say you live in Southern California, it's just kind of, it's just part of you, you know what I mean? You don't totally. really, I think you don't think about it as often, especially if you grew up there. Man, it's like LA every day is the same. So if you're trying to be inspired by the weather somehow, it's like, whoa, everything that I write forever is going to be basically the same track. So um, <laughs> it could be pe- sad. I, I grew up in Southern California. It could be sad. <laughs> yeah, it can. You could still be melancholy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I I missed the uh, the Southern California winter. That was uh, yeah. I always enjoyed yeah. that. Just perfect. cool. <laughs> and the rain came. <laughs> Absolutely it's weird. Yeah. Um. So yeah. Yeah. Beach House. So you picked Beach House's most popular song. Let's get back to that. <laughs> yeah. Which is fine. <laughs> I mean, it's not. Uh. You know. And this record, Depression Cherry, is incredible, and I, I would mm-hmm. highly recommend listening to it all the way through. I know that we own this one. Is this the one where the album? It's all velvet. Like velvet. That's yeah. what I thought. Yes. <laughs> it's so cool. It's funny um, how that stuff sticks with you. Or like the the Bowie album came out around the same time, didn't Black it? Black Star. Like yeah, we yeah. could put it in the sun and like under black lights and different things would happen. You shouldn't oh, put man. a record in the sun for a long yeah. time. Yeah. <laughs> One image that came to me, it really does feel like you're like floating through space and you can kind of envision yourself doing that. If you have, if you've seen the movie Gravity, uh, and if you haven't, it's a no spoil. Like, this came out years ago, so you can spoil landing. It doesn't yeah. matter. Um, but the very end, and George Clooney is just flo- floating out yeah, in this space a- for like just like into the the great beyond and like it's just unbelievable i could totally picture this song if that was me just floating myself i could be humming this this track in my head for sure at the end of your your you know when when there's when you've lost contact with the all other life forms that that should just default play in your helmet (laughs) you know like uh, i remember that movie you know, I've seen it a few times, and I, I just oh, it, it's it makes my feet sweat. Like, yeah, just it thinking really about does. it. This, oh, it's so it much really anxiety. Does. Like it just keeps. And you're right; he's floating for like <laughs> he's out there forever. You yeah, know? Like, yeah. Where's, he's you still know? out there. I mean, it's just a 2001 from, thing. You know? Yeah, he's out there somewhere in a <laughs> well, white room. <laughs> he does. He does open his his mask. I think right. So, so he like doesn't I don't remember. just you know he. he Anyways, I'm, I'm getting we're I'm getting so deep in his movie. Spoiling um, sci-fi, but it fits that that scene absolutely yeah. fits. The other thing I think that that adds to um, the escapism. I love 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 the exact kind of very singable melody that the guitar enters with, and the things about the guitar. It's doubled at an octave. It might be played with a slide. I think plenty of chorus, super lush, plenty of verb. It's just a fantastic melody that gets played throughout the track it opens with that melody well eventually gets that i would say that's a big part and kind of crescendos with the with the intro there it gets reharmonized at the end so you have you know basic chord changes e flat c minor f minor b flat throughout most of the song throughout the verse and then the chorus you get e flat g c minor b flat f uh, f minor sorry and a flat and that same melody gets superimposed over both changes which i think is really cool That's me escaping into the nerdy harmony <laughs> side of the track a little bit, and I do like doing that from time to time. The other thing, and this is something, Seth, I think you do so beautifully in your music, it is something that I, I'm kind of thinking of as the arrangement in sequencing. So the arrangement is is more nuanced than what you would look at from 10,000 feet of just like, this is the verse, this is the chorus, this is the bridge. There's so many things that, that are being 
used to shape existing sounds that you're creating, like say it's a synth patch or whatever, and you're taking that exact same sample that you created and layering it and like using it as an intro. You do that on on the demo track that you create in this track uh, in the course, right? So like mm-hmm. you're getting the most out of the things that you have already created. And I think that's happening at play. When you break down this track, there's not so many elements to it, but they're getting reused in really exciting ways. They're getting the most out of them. So my my question for you, Seth, is just kind of how you approach getting the most out of the sounds that you create yourself. What I tend to think is that if I don't kind of reuse or repurpose the sounds of the track that I'm working on, I'll just add too much stuff. I would complicate it. And um, I was doing that yesterday. I started a new track. And, and the first thing I did was like, I really liked this little synth line I wrote and the effects I had on it. And then I took it and I ran it through something else and made it all crazy. And, and it's the, in, now it's like the, it's kind of like the, um, the breakdown part. And it's like, it's, it's reminiscent of, of kind of the top melody of the song, but it's mm-hmm. more like, it's a little more atmospheric and kind of smeared a bit. And like, for me, it, it like ties back to the song so much that way. You know, I, I've been trying to simplify things and, and kind of subtract sounds and like pick stuff that's really good. And that that's something I was really struck by when we were making the course and, and just watching you in your element and in your process. So you do you do have a lot of tools at your disposal, of course, be they vintage synths or or soft synths and and effects and plugins that you've picked up on the way. Just knowledge and ideas. And knowledge, <laughs> of course. <laughs> but you're very good about like restricting yourself to just a couple of things that you find yourself using a lot in that moment and getting the most out of it. So like I think people can listen to very beautifully produced music and be like, "There's so much going on. There's so much going on. There's so much going on." But then you scale it back. Like you say yourself in the course, it's like, it's actually pretty simple. You know, it's just about yeah. refinement yeah. and taste and getting getting the most out of out of the track. I had a teacher tell me once, a comp teacher, and I always thought this was really smart, that simplicity is a sign that the composer respects their listener. You know, because like, like you, can't, you can't take everything in as a listener at once. And at the same time, when you hear those little things that are sort of familiar from somewhere else you buy in a little bit more and it like it, it's almost like an inside joke and because you recognize it and it sort of belongs to you in a weird way as a listener yeah um so i just i love the emotional appeal of that kind of thing too definitely it kind of feels like a like your own memories in there somehow yeah um, yeah i just i also think for me it's like i still want you to for the most part be able to figure out you know, or or at least hear the sound of the instrument, you know, mm. not necessarily the sound that the instrument makes, but the sound of the sound, the quality of the sound, you know, like those yeah. little things. And if you just kind of bury them with layering tons and tons of stuff on there, you lose that. And, mm. you know, I, I like the noise. I like the weirdness. I like things that aren't recorded like perfectly, like that. it's all, mm-hmm. it all adds weird character, you know? So, totally. you know, I have probably like six keyboards in here but you know for me that seems like a small amount now you know (laughs) over the years i've collected so much stuff but i've really narrowed it down and now my big thing is buying um outboard studio stuff compressors eqs and things to process the sound because like i already know what what sounds i like and what machines Mm -hmm. make those sounds so now it's all about processing and like weird sequencing things. And I get a lot of boxes and little modules and, you know, the Eurorack stuff and I, I get into Bukala and, you know, that's all, a lot of that for me is going to be mostly kind of in the production kind of um, part of mm-hmm. my music as, as opposed to like, you know, writing um, or making sounds. It's going to be more for like timing and, and coming up with weird sequencing and things like that. And, and very excited to hear that too. That's that's sick. Um, I, one thing I have to mention about Beach House, and again, when you listen to this record, you probably think geez, a lot of a lot of times like, oh man, I can't imagine all the gear used and how expensive it is. This group is super synonymous with just like picking up thrift store found synths. Mm-hmm. Like that, that's what they do. They spend, I think, not a ton of money on on a lot of the gear that you find makes it onto these records. So. One um, one instrument that that's been pretty important, uh, from what I can gather in research, is the Yamaha PS Twenty, which just looked it up. You can get on eBay for like a hundred and fifty yep. bucks. Like they're oh, they're out there, and the organ sound on this on this track might very well be the Yamaha PS Twenty. 
I'm so I'm so sorry. This is so rude of me, but you're saying Yamaha the Canadian way again, and I just need then, you. And I'll won't I just say, need you to say Yamaha one time for me, so we can replace it in the edit. I I can't possibly do that, man. It's I it's it's in my blood. I have to say Yamaha, <laughs> and I will continue blood. to say Yamaha. I'll probably say it more now that you mentioned it, uh, simply out okay. of spite. Oh, so yeah. there he right says here. to his Asian wife, "Go on." Um, I can't I can't say it any different. So. Um, Alex Kelly said, uh, just in, in finding this um, Yamaha PS20, uh, this was incredibly fortuitous. Um, uh, Victoria found this at a thrift store in South Baltimore, and it's become one of the most important organs for our sound. When she found it, it was just a transformative experience for us. It's hard to explain. We love every single sound on it. It's from 1981, right between when everything sounded really cheesy and when things sound really analog. So it's this mixture of two sounds that we've really come to fall in mm. love with. Love that. Seth, you do this in the course. You talk about chasing, like when you find that synth that you love. And of course, you know, you had the, the opportunity to go into the OBX, mm -hmm. the Oberheim OBX, oh, yeah. of course, and the Juno yeah. 106. Um, but you also, you talked about this incredible synth that you own yourself, the Krumar bit yes. one. Um, is that still kind of your go-to these yes, days as far it's, as uh, synths? It's, uh, that's my secret weapon, I'd say, because yes. it just sounds weird. It's analog. But it's I have, it's digitally controlled oscillators, but it's still very wonky. And I have, speaking of which, I it's definitely uh, time to replace the battery in it. I think this is my. <laughs> it's down to like every eight months. I should probably, you know, have, oh, no. well, you know, it's, a, it's just. But I don't ever save the patches. You know, like I'll record mm -hmm. something because I know it's so wonky. I'm like, you know, I'm not. I don't want to. It's. I don't want to use that sound again once it's yeah. used. I'm not, you know, not necessarily a big fan of re. You know, I'll use drum sounds again because, yeah, you know, just drums in general for the most part in the history of music are pretty much very similar, hmm. as yeah. opposed to like synth sounds and stuff. That's why I like the modular stuff because it's you know you, you can save the patches these days, but I right. don't do anything like that. I just turn it on, record, and then it's gone forever. <laughs> you know, I'll take mm -hmm. a picture of the w way the knobs are and the uh -huh. cables are plugged in, and hope that you know. And then I'm, when am I ever going to recreate you know, <laughs> images of my phone? I have like that, or but yeah, the Krumar. That's one of those things that like. You know, I had always looked at it. I remember researching because I've always wanted like a weird Italian synth and like, you know, the Alka Synthax was like completely unobtainable. Like, you know, mm. they're very few and they're very expensive. And then there was a Kickstarter campaign a couple of years back where they were taking the old stock of the parts for the synth and they were going to re, they were going to make new ones, oh. but it never got funded totally. And it was such a bummer. Uh. So I was like, uh, yes, you know, like, <laughs> yes, take all my money. I'll pay for them all, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> But, uh, you know, and oh, I, I, I remember just seeing the graphics of the synth and looking it up on the various websites and, and I was just like, I have to have this, you know, and there wasn't an enormous amount of audio demos or anything like that out there in the world. And I had never used it before I got it. You know, I just, I knew I wanted it, you know, it was just like, and it's a cool looking synth. It's like, I don't know. It kind of looks like a retro 80s computer graphics like graphing mm -hmm. you know graphics and stuff uh like on the you know on the on the on the panel but yeah that's my uh that's that one that, that i think uh like that's why ultra fish of you sounds like and that's like probably my main usage of it There were some sounds um, I wanted to, to show you guys actually on, on this track, um, Space Song. <laughs> uh, so at 420, the everything is happening in the outro. There's so much. It really, the, the crazy thing about this outro, it's like as it fades out, it sounds like every single element that was used to make this track is present, but is still really blending and working beautifully together. Um, but the thing that really kind of stood out and it's really buried in the back uh, might be tricky to hear, but there's these very, um, there's some higher arpeggios happening, but then there's this lower, uh, both in range and mix arpeggios that I love this little line here at about 420 of the track. Vocals get more experimental. They're layered on top of each other. It's just so much oh, happening. You have the lyrical process um, going on too, right? 
which is nice. Yeah, Everything's fall- uh, when like like when lyrics and music batch you know so like when the music does what the lyrics are saying in kind of literal way like everything in that part is falling back into place as they keep repeating <laughs> fall back into place you know um which i yeah i always get really excited and kind of geeky because lyrics are one of my favorite things when they work well um, about that stuff but this also the ending also kind of reminds me of like a classical fugue in a little bit where like you're taking all these simple yeah. components yeah, fair. yeah yeah not like in a like direct way but it's just like everything's there and if you listen closely you can pick each thing out but it works yeah. <laughs> yep yeah absolutely um the the last thing i want to talk about on this track is the drum groove and i didn't notice this the first like 10 times <laughs> i listen to this track probably the drum groove doesn't change at, all. at all like there are adjustments but the groove the pattern itself does not change at all which i love (laughs) i love kind of hearing tracks because i think for me just in in drum production a lot of times it's like it feels daunting so you can build a really great track with the simplistic drums but there are some very unique things happening here um the pattern doesn't change the mix gets super narrow at the start of the chorus which is so so cool and then it starts to build back out uh, you can hear the verb kind of get automated in. You can really hear it in the kick. just hear a little bit of like weight coming into the track and i I really think that that's just a longer reverb on on the drum track and that you can hear too i think there's some live drums layered on top of the program drums yeah and so they get brought in and out i'm realizing that that's a huge thing that i enjoy about music is like you know having all this width and then being able to subtract it basically and you really can like yeah. push and pull the listener like in so many different ways that like i probably didn't realize before like i was like oh you can only kind of make them move or or, or feel with just melody you know and like no it's not necessarily true you can pan things differently or you know things can go from super stereo you know very wide to very narrow like you know that is a huge thing that i'm trying to experiment with in you know this next record that I'm working on, you know. So Seth, what do we have the pleasure of listening to? This is Grouper, uh, Heavy Water, I'd Rather Be Sleeping. Which I have to share the name of the record. Um, (laughs) Oh, yes. Uh, That's a good name. Dragging a dead deer up a hill. (laughs) Incredible. You shed some light on this already, but it was an unexpected choice. When when you shared it for me, I was like, oh, wow. Like totally blown (laughs) away. But yeah, what, what led you to this selection? You know, when we were talking about doing the podcast and kind of, we kind of decided on, you know, the escape theme, escape into, um, Mm -hmm. I think, uh, you know, I was thinking, oh, I'll do, yeah, I'll do Boards of Canada. Yeah, that's easy. That's what I thought was coming. Yeah. Uh, you know, and then I was like, but that's, I don't want people to think that's the only stuff I listen to, you know, like, cause like it probably seems like that, you know? And then I realized that like, I was like, oh, don't do that. I mean, it's, there's, oh my God, a million favorite songs, you know, mm-hmm. but like to pick one that I never really have super publicly talked about, I've talked about Boards Canada and, and, and various, you know, artists that I enjoy many times before in interviews or whatnot. And so I was like, I don't think I've ever talked about this grouper track. And, mm. you know, and I've known about it for probably, I don't know, since it came out in 2008. Um, I remember uh, I used to buy a lot of music when I worked in advertising from a website called Boomcat. I don't know if you've ever used it. I don't think I did. No. It's like uh, they sell MP3, you know, like digital vinyl. You can buy all the stuff. But um, mm-hmm. they used to have really interesting music that I could never find anywhere else. Um, and I, I think I literally bought this like on a, like I went through these phases where I would just like, you know, judge a book by its cover kind of thing. But if the cover was cool enough, I'd buy it. 
totally. I definitely bought this record because the cover was like, that's so crazy looking. It's weird. It's like this, you know, it's just crazy. It's a crazy uh, <laughs> album cover. And um, I definitely put it in the cart and did a checkout and then forgot to listen to it for a while. Then I finally came back to it and I was just like, wow, you know, this is incredible. This whole record is incredible. And like, I just picked it on a whim. You know what I mean? I had never heard of this artist before. And, and I think also for me, I mean, you can clearly hear the guitar in this, you know, in this song and on the whole record. And for a long time, uh, I didn't want anything to do with guitars. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I grew up, uh, you know, I, I was listening, used to listen to rock music and, all, you know, that's, that's what I first got into. And then once I found electronic music, I was like anti-guitar <laughs> for a very long time. And especially acoustic guitar, I was like, yeah, you know, <laughs> hippies, you know, or whatever. Yeah. You know, I was like, <laughs> I, just like, I just totally wrote it off, you know, like didn't, I was just like, I don't know. I think this is a good representation of me kind of like opening back up to it and realizing like sonic capabilities that I kind of... Mm just pushed away, you know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. you can do so many crazy things with a guitar that I just like totally neglected to even care about. I listen to a lot of music that's like this now, as opposed to like a lot, of, I mean, I still listen to electronic music, but I find myself listening to more, you know, uh, definitely ambient stuff and a little more indie stuff and, and you know, mm-hmm. kind of more live instrumentation. And this is like just one song that kind of wraps that up for me. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I hadn't heard it before, and I'm really glad that I did. Yeah, I just kind of kept listening to the album after yeah. I put it on. <laughs> oh, I've, this song is like, yeah, the song is very, it's, it's, I mean, it's on the shorter side, and I've definitely yeah. had it on repeat. Like, sometimes when I'm flying, I'll just listen to it on repeat for like mm. five hours. Yeah, just what is there, it, 238 like, or something like that? It's yeah, like, t- it's yeah. not even three minutes. Yeah. yeah. What's the best way to listen to this track? You mentioned flying, but yeah, where, what's your <laughs> ideal situation you put this head, this, uh, this track on? I think the moment I really fell in love with this track was maybe like uh, five years ago was probably when I, you know, because I had I, always been a fan of it, but where it really helped me out was on tour, mm, sitting in the van, yeah. hour after hour, just driving through the middle of nowhere in, <laughs> in the United States of America, just nothing but like gas yeah. stations and Subway mm. food or McDonald's, yeah. or you know what I mean? Like it literally was my escape from that and uh that's really i think i i i tend to use this song a lot when i travel definitely it's my escape it's kind of like i find it very soothing it's sad but it's i don't know it's kind of it's like hopeful at the same time it is yeah it's harmonically there's a hopefulness to it i think in in just uh, the one thing too that that hammered me about this track really is how it's like the mix meets the level of the creativity of the performance. Oh like yeah, the mm-hmm. mix is so creative as well, mm-hmm. and the, I think mixing and, and production. Well, production. I think people have, have realized that it's a very creative process. It's akin to songwriting. You know, it's mm-hmm. so artistic. But for whatever reason, mixing gets lumped into a very technical thing, and and there mm-hmm. are technical yeah. aspects of it, but like. You have to be incredibly creative in your mix, but yeah, that, it's just such a delicate. I'm curious your thoughts on the on the production, of course, of of this uh, track and and the mix itself. Oh, it's to to me, it sounds very. Oh, it's very warm, yeah. and dense. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. It's a super full song that I feel like I would expect to become distorted very easily on you know different listening devices and and yes it's definitely not a song you you crank up on a friday night you know like um i mean you might be having a weird friday yeah that's true true. if you have yeah that's you know (laughs) true you know again in the course you talk about your music being both an escape for the listener but also for yourself Mm -hmm. and as an artist but how do you think you know musicians and producers and creatives can use the creative process more as an escape for themselves. Mm. Oh. That's a deep one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, wait, can you say that again? Like, just uh, really. So many times, I think in in the creative process, it can become this this kind of task where mm-hmm. it's like I'm just working on something. I'm working on something because I want to work on something. But keeping it 
more of an escape, you know, like how, how do you inject that, that escapism into your own creative process? I think for me, it's like, uh, you know, we haven't talked about it on the podcast, but I, you know, we talk about it a lot on the course about Mm -hmm. how I came up with this narrative for the, you know, the kind of early, Mm -hmm. uh, com records. And I think that was my escape for the most part, like coming up with this narrative that isn't necessarily based on real life or, you know, isn't hard coded to real life. Um, but then I just kind of fill my uh, mind with these ideas of this, you know, these little story cues of this kind of made up narrative in my head or on paper or wherever you put it, you know? And I, I think that's my way of escaping. And then I really just kind of let myself feel that way. I'm a super nerd, but you know, like, <laughs> so, you know, I just, you know, it's, it could be like, you know, I've said before, sometimes I'll put, you know, just a, a science fiction TV show, film, what you know, whatever on mm-hmm. in the background, just for the image quality, you know, just for something to look at, to just mm-hmm. kind of, it, I don't necessarily find it distracting, honestly, but I mean, in the sounds off, but um, I'll kind of go back and reference kind of moments, you know, and I'll, I, I find that like it kind of jogs my creativity a little bit, mm-hmm. kind of adds movement in the space where there's like, you know, there's not much movement in a music studio for the most part. As you know, at least mine, I'm sitting in my chair by myself. The dog might come in once in a while, but you know, <laughs> it's pretty. It's I'm trying to think of a good way to explain why or how how I even do it. I don't. I have a question for you that might help, maybe yeah. <laughs> just in terms of the narrative and how that is a creative driving force for you. This is kind of a weird one, so feel free to be like, "That's a weird question." I'm not going to answer <laughs> it. But when you use the your narrative to create music do you feel like you mentally kind of identify with the protagonist or do you feel like the creator of the story Mm. i feel like the creator of the story but i also say i would feel you know kind of a little bit of the protagonist Mm -hmm. uh, kind of angle as well Uh, you know like i've said before i don't necessarily write about personal current events in my life i feel like it takes me a long time to kind of figure out what they actually meant and how i Mm. actually felt so for me like this is a way to kind of translate those memories or ideas in more of a form where i feel like i can shape them a little bit you know um they and they also kind of put up a little bit of distance between because you know com truths is is this project i don't it's not really me as a person you know it's not you know it's not representational or representative, sorry, of me, you know, as a person, this is like my expression of like, could be about my views of whatever, you know? Uh-huh. I love that. Absolutely. Um, anything else on on uh, Heavy Water? I'd slash I'd rather be sleeping that you want to touch on. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, I, I, you know, I just, uh, I, I know I've used this song in, in various ways throughout the years and, mm. uh, you know, I'm a big fan of, of Grouper's music as a, as a whole. And um, it's just, a, it's definitely a, a special song for me. Definitely. Yeah. Incredible. Oh, and so thank you for sharing it with us. Because <laughs> yeah, I, totally. I think I'll definitely be keeping this one on for, for quite a while. Well, why don't we awesome. dive into our last selection of the episode? It is Mahe's pick, and it's a classic. Somehow weird to like call classical songs classic. <laughs> All it is, yeah. That's all you need to play and people will know what it was. They'll be like, oh, the song from the end of Ocean's Eleven. (laughs) (laughs) I don't remember that. That's one good use. (laughs) I'm pretty sure this is the song that they play when they're in front of the fountains of the Bellagio. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And it's epic there. It just gave me goosebumps thinking about it. Uh It always does. No matter, like, it's used in a scene in Twilight. And I remember seeing that and it was like, why, like, why is Twilight emotionally moving me right now? (laughs) It's the song. It's Debussy. Music is powerful. It is. Maya, what do we have the pleasure of listening to? We have the pleasure of listening to my second favorite song by my favorite composer. This is Debussy's Claire de Lune. What's your first favorite song? Oh, I've talked about it on the podcast before. Band from Poor Le yeah. Piano is my favorite song of all time. If I could only listen to one thing for the rest of my life, it would just be that on repeat. When you're floating into space for the rest of your life, it would be, yeah.
I pulled up a quote that was, I'm going to use apropos twice in one minute. That was very apropos for this episode. Um, <laughs> you know, the the author, Matt Haig, I'm so bad with how, how to pronounce people's not. names, but I think he wrote um, Reasons to Stay Alive, among many other things. But so he has all these really beautiful, empowering quotes about life. But one of them is um, how to stop time, kiss, how to travel in time, read, how to escape time, music. And that's all the that's where I'm gonna end the quote. Wow. That's cutting it off. But I thought that was interesting that that ties in with this episode so nicely. So yeah, so like I said, picking the song was hard for me and pretty <laughs> overwhelming because there were just so many directions to go. And when I started to feel stressed out, whether it was during that research prep process or, you know, I have a fear of needles. So when I get um <laughs> yeah. blood tests or oh, yeah. vaccines, I go in with my headphones and this is always the song that's on. It just kind of occurred to me like, oh, Claire de Lune is my escape song. Absolutely. <laughs> that's awesome. And it's something you escape into because it like it feels good. It's not just like pulling you out of something into something else that's potentially destructive. You know, like yeah. sometimes TV is an escape, but then you're like aspects of watching tv aren't healthy yeah. you realize yeah. you watch three straight episodes of the sopranos and yeah, that's what you it becomes did that a little night oh, fire, you know um this always feels listening to the song always feels healthy and wonderful mm-hmm. if a little melancholy yeah the beginning of it is so memorable that mm-hmm. i always forget where the rest of the piece goes i know it's you also know, like just it- a broken chord yeah. Like it's just yeah. one chord broken into two like and it's like the not to get music theory nerdy but it's I'm pretty sure it's just the one chord if I remember correctly. That's not a total creative stretch but something about it is perfect. Oh yeah. <laughs> Seth, do you have do you play piano? Like you got all kinds of synths but uh, yeah, do you ever do you you sit got down some at keyboard the jobs? Yeah. There is a piano, a real piano downstairs. Oof, nice. Um Sometimes I'll I'll put the uh, field recorder up and then uh, I guess you could call it play. <laughs> um, <laughs> let's, let's, let's call it noodle. You know, yeah, noodle a bit, and then I'll you know I'll, I'll throw it in a granular synth and oh, cool. you know kind of transform it into something else. I've I've used the, yeah I've done that a few times. I did that on a Tycho remix, and it's going to be all over the record. I did it on um, Persuasion System on a, on a couple songs, but. I guess it is nice to have a real piano. I grew up with one in the home. Mm-hmm. My mom, um, she was trained, um, and uh, my sister took lessons, and I never did. I was more into sports, which, you know, it's funny how that works. <laughs> which track on Persuasion System? Because I'd love to. Um, context. But yeah, I also, by the way, have a terrible fear of needles. Um, oh. We're part of a rare evolutionary yeah. like I, glitch. My mother, my mother was a nurse when I was young, and she used to bring the shots home and give them to me at the dining room table because I would cry if I if the doctor oh. did. Yeah. Them. Yeah, dude, so. I do that as an adult. They uh, yeah. have to oh. like they have to partially sedate me for that. Yeah. So. I've gotten much thing, better. Yeah. But ooh, I have oh, no tattoos, man. no piercings. I yeah, can't do it. I want can't a tattoo. It. Can't do it. Yeah, I just can't do it. <laughs> um, but yeah, the the yeah the piano is pro- is probably my favorite instrument. Um, oh wow! And yeah, yeah, I I, I want to make it a bigger part of my music because yeah, you don't necessarily hear it in the kind of synthy yeah. you know synth wave or whatever you want to say. I'm you know it's not a huge thing in my kind of genre and subgenre. So I really want to find a way to incorporate it in in like a nice. Um, you know, like a softer way, you know? Yeah. That'd be really you know. cool. Speaking of the piano, so the recording that we were listening to, if it's the one I sent you, Carter, which I think it was, it claims to be a recording of W.C. playing the piece himself. Let me start by saying it probably isn't, but there are six existing quote-unquote recordings of W.C. playing his own music. Hmm. He recorded some tracks or some pe- tracks. Debussy <laughs> laid down some <laughs> laid tracks. down some tracks. <laughs> Claude was over here. No, he recorded some pieces on what I believe I say everything wrong, especially French names, and I apologize the people of France. Um, Welt Mignon. The second part sounds like the steak, so that part I think mm. I feel good about. But around the early 1900s, there was um, a, a, like a reproducing piano 
the player piano was also being developed around the same time, right? Mm -hmm. It captured the performance in like paper rolls and had the ability to capture things like dynamics and phrasing and pedaling to an extent. Wow. Mm -hmm. So there are six of those roles that Debussy sat down and played himself. Wow. wow. Not this piece again, but that's like early MIDI. You know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Which My is grandparents cool. had the player piano where oh, it cool. had the spools and they would, you know, you'd open up the doors. It was big, huge piano. And uh, I remember because the, the vacuum, it was just like this old... 70s, maybe probably 60s, late 60s vacuum that would ha hung from the basement ceiling that would, you know, was the vacuum for the thing. Yeah. And, you know, we take the like Hello Dolly and stuff and like, you know, put the, the, the spools on it, it would just pull the paper, would run on the reel and it would go over this little metal bar with all these rectangular holes. And yeah, as the air wow. sucked through, it would pull the, and all, yeah, the pedals would it's go down. So it would do all cool. kinds of crazy. It was the coolest thing ever. They sold it, but. Oh, that's too bad. I, mean, I know. Oh, my, my <laughs> grandparents had so many um, songs on those rolls. They were just like, it's crazy. That's like a, a beautiful form of technology. That right must there. have, just the way you're speaking about the technical side of that, maybe that's some of the ethos of like where you just dig in and want to understand how everything works. Yeah, but that's not yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. I would put my, you know, I would put my hand over a certain hole and like cut notes out. And it was, oh, that's you know, awesome. My, yeah. Remix. Early, early sample shot. <laughs> I mean, yeah. kind of though. That's yeah. like, the old player piano is awesome because it's so visual, you know, like piano roll in, I mean, there's, there's the reason it's called piano roll, but like piano yeah. roll in a DAW is one thing. Yeah. But like seeing that in person, and I've only seen like two player pianos in my life, like it just all starts to make sense a little bit. Oh, yeah. It's very cool. It's um, crazy. But yeah, so Debussy, Debussy played on a similar device in the early 1900s, which is pretty awesome. Um, it's amazing. Right. It's also never, interesting. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> oh, I just, I was just, it made me realize I never did any research to understand like how they made the real, did they, did someone have to like, play it perfectly as right? like ran a piece yeah, of paper and like it would punch the holes out or was it was it mathematic you know like, mm -hmm. like how did they how did they make the rolls like perfect i don't yeah right? it's crazy it sounds like the, the the thing the um welt mignon it sounds like that is just the people's performances um yeah. so in that case what you hear which is interesting because this piece too so it wouldn't have been him who played this but uh the the rumor with that is that it is probably just another professional pianist of the time. Mm -hmm. um, because the other thing is the the actual piano rolls for this, I don't know if it's the same with player pianos, but um, they could only be so long. Yeah. <laughs> so if you get later into this piece, it, it becomes a little rushed in this recording, which kind of sucks because Claire DeLune's all about the space. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but there's all these people online, if you look at the YouTube link, like, basically bashing what they think is oh WC for playing the piece wrong. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the... the uh, wouldn't allow it. Uh, yeah, the, I remember the rules on my grandparents' piano. Like, if you didn't stop it, like, be right before it ended, the thing would fly off and it... Yeah. And they always had they always had tape on the on the on the little uh, oh, to keep it there. little paper hooks with the little metal uh, O ring in it to like you know so they always had to get repaired because they just fly off and that would make an ungodly noise that was smacking <laughs> the piano like yeah that's I I couldn't imagine like going to like a piano roll store like yeah, right? <laughs> Sunday we're having we're having brunch and getting some piano rolls down at the piano roll shop you know like that's like crazy. They probably yeah. just all look like scrolls sitting. Yeah, in you're, like, you're pulling out your Harry wand or your yeah, Harry Potter your wand. Wands, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. All mystical. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, music man. used to be so cool. It still is, but yeah, it music. used to be really cool. <laughs> I would argue that it's Definitely. cooler now in a lot sure of ways. But yeah. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, Claire Lune. What? Yeah, uh... Claire Lune. So the other thing I learned about this song, which again has been my escape song since the first time I attempted to play this when I was like 13 or something like that. Um, <laughs> Which, actually, you know what, just aside, this is an interesting piece, because I feel like growing up classical, a lot of the time, you force yourself to take a break, like when your hands hurt, or when you really just can't get the part right. This is one of those pieces where you make yourself stop playing the second you realize that you're getting distracted. Um, and like, as yeah. an ADHD kid, that was kind of tough, but you really are like, oh, I'm not in it, I'm not playing it well anymore. And I love that about <laughs> it. Um, 
But I, I learned doing research for this episode that it was actually inspired by a poem of the same name um, by Paul Verlaine, who I believe was a friend of Debussy's. Carter, I'm not going to attempt, I'm not going to make you attempt to read the French unless you want to. I already did, and it didn't go very well, so uh, we're not going to do, we're not going to do that on the podcast. unless you read French fluently, I'll, I'll just give us some lines in English. I don't. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I did. <laughs> Claire de Lune by Paul Verlaine Your soul is a select landscape where charming masqueraders and burgomaskers go, playing the lute and dancing and almost sad beneath their fantastic disguises. All sing in a minor key of victorious love and the opportune life. They do not seem to believe in their happiness, and their song mingles with the moonlight. With the still moonlight, sad and beautiful, that sets the birds dreaming in the trees, and the fountains sobbing in ecstasy, the tall, slender fountains among marble statues. I do feel like the scene that that poem describes is more or less what you get from listening to the song without knowing the poem ever existed. Um, mm. You know, like this idea yeah. of like the human soul being this scene where people are dancing in masks and they're. There's a sadness, but it's beautiful, and there's love, but there's sorrow. Um, I feel all that, and I think that's amazing in an instrumental piece. Was that written after the song? It was, was written before. That's pretty interesting. That's amazing. That's mm -hmm. see, we're, we're, you know, we always, we're finding inspiration in all different places. Yeah. yeah. Well, and yeah. I know that visuals are a big thing for you in the narratives, mm -hmm. too. I did not know those were big things for Debussy. But yeah, right. Like I mean, it's crazy how you can find this information about such such old music, really. Yeah. Um, and like today, you can can't even you can't find like it's very rare to find like super detailed information on on songs. Maybe they yeah. just haven't been around long enough, or no one really dug, or no one really mm. cared to learn what was behind it. You know. I like that stuff, you know. You just need yeah. the academics to get on it. <laughs> yeah, to have a database of like, yeah, I would love to know what you know, what every song was was really about or inspired by, you know. Yeah, I don't. So, like, I love instrumental music. I've occasionally written it, but I really lean on lyrics when I'm trying to say something. What like elements of a piece do you find yourself focusing in on when you're trying to tell a story without words? Like, is it a melody thing? Is it definitely for me the melody, and that, and mm -hmm. I really enjoy because, like I said, I, I I used to like you know rock music or or just music that had you know lyrics, and mm -hmm. then for a long time I was anti lyrics or you know unless it was like a phrase or something. So mm. I really kind of now enjoy the challenge of trying to convey my story um, with just yeah. the melody, you know, because like uh, it is tricky. But I say that in the same breath, I'd say. And my music is open to interpretation. So like, mm. you know, I'm trying to maybe sway you in the direction of the way I felt, but if this makes you feel something a little bit different, like that's totally fine. Like, you know, it's, I, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's beautiful. All melody. Yeah. Yeah. If somebody can find something in your song that you didn't even know was there, exactly. that's, that's why musicians deserve to like exist in the world. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. what we can give people. <laughs> Definitely. Um, yeah. Hey, anything else, or because I would like to jump into yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. The... I'll just wrap it up real quick. I was saying just with the fact that this is obviously a song that's been used in lots of places. One last thing people should check out if they're in a Claire mm -hmm. de Lune mood that I found out in my research was um, there's a deleted scene in Fantasia that was built around Claire de Lune, and it ended up being too long, so it was cut Ooh. for time. But you can find it online, and it's pretty cool. It does exist. It does exist there? online. Can... That's yeah. awesome. Gonna have to show notes that one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's pretty it's Done. pretty cool. <laughs> That's awesome. Seth, thank you so much for joining us. I mean, big thing for us here at Soundfly is your course, your brand new course. Mm -hmm. Calm Trues, Mid-Fi, Synthwave, Slow Motion, Funk is out <laughs> and live. And people can subscribe and check it out right now at soundfly.com, of course. For folks that haven't checked it out yet, 
what can they expect to find in your brand new Soundfly course? You know, I'd, I'd like to think it's a nice kind of uh, view into my uh, creative process, yeah. the way that I um, formulate my ideas and the way that they reflect into my music. Um, you know, there's some tips and tricks and, you know, little things that I, I think are, uh, are are fairly useful in my production. And a lot of the things I do every day, you know, or at least every day I'm writing. So, you know, I, I think um, there's some some cool gear that I get, you know, that I got to work with and, and a beautiful studio and uh, uh, with a great team. And, uh, yeah, the final product is uh, is is worth it, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, mm-hmm. and just to, to add, because that is exactly what it is, but you know, getting to see you unpack, you know, tracks like Ultrafiche, of course, and Existence Schematic, uh, Compress, Fuse, like that was so sick. But then beyond that, you made a track from scratch, which is now one of my favorite tracks of, <laughs> of yours, man. It's so sick. And and because getting to see it from start to finish, the bass is, is just, oh my God, it's so sick. The The arrangement of this track is so sick. But I think everything that that's in your creative process really shines through in doing that demo from start to, Mm. it was literally like, Hey, why don't you just start (laughs) making a track and we'll see where it gets to. And it was just like the light, you see the light go on in, in your head and it just kind of was like nonstop, like just, just relentless uh, creativity, (laughs) which was so incredible to witness. And lastly, uh, Seth, I want to ask just like, what's, what's next in the world of Calm Truce? Uh, Musically, what's going on for you? Anything, you don't have to share anything, of course, we're going to keep it under wraps, but uh, just anything. Next in the world of music for not Calm Truce. Yeah. Yeah. What are you up to musically? Well, like I said, I, I, I've just been in the process of kind of uh, acquiring some new pieces of equipment for the next record. Um, most of which have arrived, and um, I've basically kind of started uh, in the past two days, really kind of focusing on it. And, and um, you know, I think I have the narrative locked down, which I won't give away yet. But it's it's going to be an interesting <laughs> record, and it's awesome. going to be a long a long record if if Ghostly uh, puts up with my <laughs> d- demands. Um, yeah, I, I picked up a cool. little. Yeah, I picked up a like a Tascam. Uh, uh, little cassette uh, four track thing. I'm going to start bouncing stuff to that and, uh, you know, awesome. get a little more, you know, so I'm going to, yeah, I'm excited. I'm going to experiment with various forms of media, resampling, reshaping, and um, there'll be lots of modular synth stuff on it because I really haven't focused on that in, in my mm-hmm. other music and I have a lot of that equipment and I started to feel bad about just you know, letting it collect dust. So I'm, yeah, I finally have this uh, studio space that I'm in now kind of uh up and running i i recently rewired everything with this digital patch bay so i don't have to unplug or plug wires mm-hmm. in or anything it's all done on the computer with no signal loss and no conversion or anything so it's really it's it's made you know running things through an eq through an outboard eq like extremely easy now as nice. opposed to before i had to you know just I couldn't remember where stuff were plugged in or, you know, like it was, yeah. I always yeah. had to kind of, I'm away from home too long. I'd get, you know, where did it, where is it? You know, but so that's like, it's got me super inspired. Now I can just sit here and work and like not really have to focus on like plugging things in, you know, like it's all ready to rock. And so <laughs> or like I'm worrying super, about your patch cables being, yeah, just oh. <laughs> yeah. something's not wrong. You're like, oh, do I have to unplug everything? Yes. Yes. <laughs> that's awesome. You don't have, yeah. And you use the Eurorack stuff, right? Is that yep. what you were saying? Very I got, cool. yeah. I, uh, I've been using that for, for, uh, many years now, but I recently, um, it's still, it's still being built, but I, I got into the Bukala uh, stuff, which, um, I built a, a three panel system, which is, uh, Ooh, it's going to be a monster. I can't, <laughs> I cannot wait for it to arrive. That must feel like Christmas uh, is coming. Oh, it's like, yeah. Every time I get mail, it's Christmas. I'm like super I lucky. I that. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And that's going to do it for this episode of Themes and Variation. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to dive into all of the tracks mentioned on this episode, there's a link to a Spotify community playlist in our show notes. Feel free to check them out there. And folks, if you enjoyed the show, be sure to give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. We'd really appreciate it. We'll be back in two weeks with a new episode and a new theme. 